which is why I want us to look at Luke chapter 18 today. We're going to look at the first eight verses. Got the slide up there. Persistence is uh, something we value, but it's also something we can find hard. Is that not right? Persistence means persevering in spite of fatigue or in spite of frustration, whatever it might be. When you're trying to get out that, yeah, unbolt that annoying bolt that's got rusted in or that screw that won't budge, you have to use WD-40 because you're persisting and nothing's happening. You need WD-40 to release it. I've got a bottle here. WD-40 helps us when we're persisting, trying to, trying to crack that nut or whatever it is going to be. The, do you know why it's called WD-40? WD stands for water displacement. Do you know where the 40 comes from? Because there are 39 failed attempts at finding the right formula. True, seriously, true story, look it up. This is the 40th formula. They persisted 40 times until they got it right to get a sellable product. WD-40, you can remember that next time you buy some. Persistence is the thing we admire. There is a lady, a grandmother in South Korea just recently. Grandmother called Cha Sasun. No relation to Vidal Sassoon, I don't believe. But she, <laughs> you like that. But she, um, she was in her 60s and she decided to get her driver's license for the first time. How many goes at her written test do you think she took? She passed the written test on her 950th go. And then she passed her actual driving test on the fourth go. I don't think she should be driving. Just saying, just putting it out there. But well done for trying. We admire persistence, don't we? We admire it. Probably because we know ourselves areas where we struggle to do so. How easily do we find it to persist in prayer? It's true, isn't it? It's true. Jesus knew it wouldn't be easy, which is why he talks to us, talks to the disciples. Here in this section in Luke chapter 8, he wants to encourage us because he knows Oh, sorry, Luke chapter 18, because he knows it's not easy. Look at these first eight verses. Let's just read it. And he told them, the disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Well, thou neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord, Jesus, said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Persistence. Persistence. I, I can persist. I write novels. I enjoy writing novels. But even then, it can be a slog. My last one took 18 months, 106,000 words. The one before that took me seven years. But I can write one word after another after another. And over time, I can build a novel. I can persist. When, when I want to, I can do it. Right, uh, my passport was up for renewal just very recently, and you can know you can do it entirely online now. You can you can upload a selfie. Every time I uploaded this selfie, it kept coming back. Sorry, your head's too shiny. <laughs> now, all right, Jack. Don't have to rub it in. It's not my fault. I've got no hair. 
Their, their, their online system is very Buddhist. But my 27th attempt, I was just about to reach for the talcum powder. Jen, Jen was going to go and get, was that your bronzer or you, something? She was going to get some of her makeup for me. It's like being in the green room. But my 27th attempt, they accepted my selfie. Hopefully it's getting processed now. I can persist. And yet, I often give up in prayer. Why is that? Why is that? It's a common thing for all of us, isn't it? Jesus intends this as an encouragement, not a guilt trip. Right at the beginning, he's insisting, I'm telling you this so you don't lose heart. That's what he wants to do. He wants to encourage us. Prayer is not the easiest of things for many reasons. It can be frustration. It can be busyness. It can be distractions. It can be tiredness. But I suggest the main reason is because it's a battlefield. It's a battle, isn't it? There is a spiritual element to it because of who we're talking to and what's going on behind the scenes of our physical world that we can see. Prayer is warfare. Prayer is warfare. As Mike Betts, who fathers our family of churches, he says, even our feeblest of prayers as believers, even our feeblest of prayers make demons tremble. We have to recognise that. It's a battle, isn't it? And we also have to understand where Jesus is sharing this parable with his disciples. He's literally, in the previous chapter, if you ever look, he's literally been teaching them about the coming kingdom and about end times. And then he talks to them about prayer. And then right at the end of this little section, he goes, and when I come again, will I find faith? This context of prayer is between the promises and the promises fulfilled. It's in the now and the not yet. We are in the middle of attention. And that's where prayer comes in. When we're in eternity with him, we won't have to be praying. We'll be there face to face. We can just chat. It's different. Prayer is for now. Prayer is a battlefield. God might well be all powerful. Can do what he wants. And Jesus said he will build his church. And Jesus did say he'll never leave us. And he'll always be with us by Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we should shy from praying and asking. Oh, there's a danger if we put our feet up and well, we can get on with it then. He wants us involved. He wants us involved because it changes us. He tells us to pray. It changes us. And Jesus modelled it as well. There's every reason why we should be praying. But the wonderful thing here is he's not shaming us. Because look at me, look at how good I am. Off you go. He's not trying to do that. He knows it's hard. He's not telling us we're rubbish and we must try harder. He knows it's hard. So why when, initially in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer, he's not giving them a manual of instructions. He's not giving them something to mimic word for word, which is unfortunately somehow, that's what happens to the Lord's Prayer. We take it on as something to mimic. It's missing the point. What he's doing is just giving them a model that is concise and well-rounded, just a helpful model to learn from. He's giving us a model, not a mantra. He wants to be helpful, not just give us a book of instructions. It's different. And so even here, when nevertheless he's done that, and he still sees the disciples and us struggle to even do that, he doesn't give them a disciplined routine to follow. Oh, okay, let me lay it out for you. He doesn't. He tells them a story. He tells them a story to point to the heart of it all. He tells his story about a widow and a judge, and then very quickly flips it to help us understand our relationship with our Father in heaven. So I just want to, want to look at so I want to work through a few of the words that jump out from this passage and see what they teach us. First of all, the point is, she's a widow. He could just say, there was a lady. 
There's reason why the details are in his parables. He said, she's a widow. Why? Because she's got nowhere else to go. She's got no husband to fight her cause, is she? She's alone. She's weak and she's poor, no husband to fight for her. So the judge, who in that culture was the other person to deal with civil disputes, she was her, he was her only option. So firstly, how often do we treat God as our only option? It's a good question. These are big questions for me. I'm not just pointing the finger or anything. Do we treat God as our last resort? Sometimes. Do we just try and get on with things alone and not even talk to him about it? Yes, sometimes. How often do we treat God as if he's our only option? It's a good question. So that's setting the scene. That's why... Jesus wants to point out that she's a widow. But then why is she coming to the judge? The word is justice. Verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. See, this isn't about asking for nice things. This is about justice. This is where Jesus feels prayer is important and where it's vital. He's trying to remind us that, for starters, God is not Father Christmas. And we go to him with a list. Santa, dear Santa, can I have X, Y, and Z? He's not Father Christmas, he's Father God. It's a whole other ballgame. So it's not merely about creature comforts, asking God to drop some more money in our bank accounts because we spent it all on gadgets or treats, or asking him for an easy life. It's missing the point. This is justice. This is talking about when we're mistreated in the workplace, for whatever reason. These are just examples. When relationships are strained, we were hearing about that in some of the prayers this morning when we see persecution or experience it, when we're, when we're seeing spiritual advance and the battle comes, when we see blockages to kingdom advance, when we believe we as a church need a new base of operations to grow further and something happens and a stopper comes up and we can't get in, we need to press into these things. We need to pray about it. When we hunger for more salvation, when we see that you count out rough estimates of how many people are saved and added to the local church. You see 37,000, 38,000 people in this town who don't know Jesus. That bothers me, and I hope it bothers you. We want to see justice in this place, don't we? We want to see growth in the church. We want to see health in the church. We see the brokenness around us, and it bothers us. That's crying out for justice. This is what he's talking about. Terry Virgo is kind of our granddad of our family of churches, if you like. He wrote a study of Acts and he commented that every corporate prayer time we see in the book of Acts is in the context of drama. It's in the context of drama. I don't sense much drama in asking for nice things. It's not very dramatic, is it? But I do see drama, I always see drama when it comes to injustice. When the news in the local press or on Twitter or on the TV chokes me up and I cry out to God, this isn't right, will you do something? There's drama. I see drama when there's tension in relationships and I, 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 that lack of peace disturbs me and I'm crying out to God. Will you reconcile? Will you bring healing? It's crying out for justice. When I see friends and when I see family who I hunger for them to know Jesus like I do and it bothers me, I'm crying out to him. There's justice. There's drama. And Jesus himself is a fantastic example of living out what he taught. You see his recorded prayers in the Gospels. And they were not for comforts or for nice things, were they? When you see what he prayed. He prayed before he received the Holy Spirit. He prayed when he was selecting the right disciples to kickstart his mission on this planet. When he was rejected, he prayed. 
when his friends die, when just before he's about to be arrested, when he wrestles with he knows what's coming up, when he's on the cross dying for us, he's praying. Praying, bearing his heart and soul out before the Lord. Why have you forsaken me? We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. He's crying, but he's also praying for others as well. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's bearing his soul and there's drama. And he prays many, many times in between. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He wrestled for justice, didn't he? It's not to say we can't ask for nice things. Even in the Lord's prayers, give us our day, each day our daily bread. It's not give us the most rubbishy plain bread. It's nice things, decent stuff for the day, you know. And Jesus himself was never pious and po-faced. I only ever do and talk about the serious stuff. He wasn't. He was a God who laughed. He loved people. He loved parties. He was a God who laughed. But he was also one who was quick to cry over a city or over a person. There's drama and there's his heart. He wore his heart on his sleeve. And looking at his prayers, we see his heart laid bare. And he's saying, just get a, catch a chink of my heart. The more you spend time with me, the more you'll have my heart. What is your heart like? And one question, for me as much as for you, what is your prayer life? What does my prayer life look like? Is it a token gesture? Because that's what Christians should do. Is it predominantly asking for creature comforts? Or is it dramatic? Mirroring our Jesus, wrestling and crying from the heart. Be encouraged. Right at the beginning, it's telling you, so I'm going to share this story because I want you to not lose heart. I don't want you to feel browbeaten. Just be encouraged. Just be stirred to fight and implore and plead and nag him for justice. Because what did this widow do with the judge? Boy, did she nag him. He got fed up, didn't he? God will never get fed up with you. Keep coming back for more. Press in. He invites us to do it. Because that's the word that's used about the widow coming to the judge in verse 5 at the end. Because he's saying, but yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This continual coming in the original context is actually about to wear down, to give intolerable annoyance to, to beat black and blue. It's not going to not let go. It's complete tenacity. That's where she's at. I'm not letting go of this till I see justice be done. Uh, second to last dog, Rosie, was a bit of a nutter. Um, all our dogs are psychos. What do we do to them? I don't, I don't, I don't. Anyway, the second to last nutter, she, she would never, she had this toy called a rugger. It was made of rope. And you could hold it. It's only a little dog. You could literally hold it up here. And she would jump up and snatch it with her teeth and just dangle there. And then I could literally swing around like this. Because so far as I'm about to fall over. And she does not let go. She had teeth like, I don't know what. She was insane. But she was tenacious. She's going, that's my rugger. And I'm not letting go. You can let go, but I'm not letting go. It's mine. And she just, she was tenacious. She would not let go. And this is what is described here with the widow coming to the judge. She says, I'm not letting go of this. I don't care what you think. I am not letting go. I need justice. And you're my only place I can come. You're the only one who can give me the answer I'm looking for. I am not letting go of this. And Jesus says, you're not going to wear God down and he won't get fed up with you. But that tenacity is something to be valued. 
Because he continues. When he stops talking about the widow and the judge and he talks about us and God, what does he say? Verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect? This is a different heart straight away. Will he not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? It's that continual coming. He's continuing the widow's persistence. D.A. Carlson, his American preacher, he said, the easiest thing about prayer is to give up. And boy, do I, I know it. I know, it. I know that. I just want to encourage you. Mike Reeves is a Christian author. He said on Twitter just last week, he said, you're not the odd one out in your struggles with prayer. And it's not your secret shame. You're just a sinner, naturally inclined away from faith and prayer. We're all sinners. And you know who the friend of sinners is? He wants us to come. He knows. This is why he tells us these kind of stories. The Bible is remarkably honest about this. You look at Psalm 13. David in Psalm 13. He says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? He's laying his heart bare, isn't he? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is normal. The Bible's quite honest about that. So just let Jesus stir you and encourage you here. Because I get what it's like. And I get sometimes it feels like I haven't heard. But I don't believe that for a second. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because... What does Jesus then say in this story? He says, Will God delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. We may well ask for things and stuff and not see the answer, and often it can be because we're asking for the wrong things or at the wrong time. Sometimes that's, that's the case. But here he's promising that when it comes to justice, he acts speedily. This story is not so we learn how to wear God down. This contrast, an unjust judge who is browbeaten into right action with a loving father who cares so passionately he acts definitively, speedily when his children cry out for action. But we do have to understand what that word really means. Because it can sound like immediately. That's the kind of word, speedily. It's speedily. So if I ask now, by this afternoon it'll be fixed. The trouble is, that's not what it's trying to emphasise. It doesn't mean immediately, because otherwise, any of our prayers would not be persistent, would not be tenacious. We would not be crying out day and night. There'd be no need to if he answers immediately. That's not what it means. What it's meant is to emphasise his intent and his compassion, not his quick reactions. The trouble is, we're in a Western world that is so consumerist, we expect stuff now. I ask for it, I get it, next day delivery. Prime, Amazon Prime. I've got an email this morning from Amazon, 20,000 things you can get in two hours. It's the world we're in. I deleted it, I was a good boy. It's the world we're in. I want it now, so I'm going to get it. Bosh, I've got it. And we actually end up, even subconsciously, treating our prayer life like that. Well, I asked for it once and he didn't do anything. And God's like, it was only after a couple of weeks of it. <laughs> a couple of years. I don't know. In God's time scale, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not being... Nasty or spiteful, he knows what we need. I ask, I get next day delivery is what the world says. The Bible says he listens, he responds when it's best. Different. This speedily is about the intent of his heart, not about his time scale. 
It's about not impressing on us how little time we need to pray, but how big God's heart is. Does that help? So let's allow our own hearts to swell for injustice to be avenged. When we see it on the TV, when we see it in our own lives, when we see it down our streets, it should, we allow it to bother us and spend time with him over and over. When we pray for obstacles to his kingdom to be removed, it's a battle out there. Sometimes he just wants us to get stuck in. Yes, because it changes events and circumstances, but also, probably more importantly, because it changes us. That's what prayer does, doesn't it? Let's allow our own hearts to swell for oppression to be overturned. Let's allow our own hearts to swell for the spiritually blind to see and hearts to be raised to new life in him. We have a responsibility, actually, as his kids, to be seeking change on this planet. Christianity is not a ticket to heaven so you can put your feet up and wait for it to happen. We've got a job to do. And we've got a responsibility. And when we see brokenness around us, A, it should bother us, and B, we should do something about, us, about it. And C, the first thing we can do is go to him in prayer. Let's allow our hearts to burn and cry out incessantly. Because the key is a relationship. And that's how he ends this story. So what does he say? Right at the very end. Nevertheless, when he himself actually is talking about, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When he comes, will he find faith on earth? What he's saying is, don't give up on your long asked for and cried out for and banged on the door for prayers that have not yet seemingly been answered. Don't give up. He has heard you. Know that. I'm sure many of you have got many things that have been in your heart and you felt like giving up or you have given up. You know what I'm talking about. He has heard you. He is good. He does not forget. And he knows the best answer for now as well as later. Don't give up. The point of this story is not Will he find someone who racked up enough hours on their knees? It's not what he's saying. He's saying, will he find faith? Because in that Psalm 13 that I read out from with David, even David's heart is in the right place. He's being honest and he's saying what, if, what it feels like. How long? Where have you been? What's going on? Have you forgotten me? But within just a couple of verses later, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall Rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David's heart was full of faith. He was honest, but he was full of faith and he kept pressing in. And that's what God's asking us to do. Just to paraphrase Jesus at the end of that story, when he comes, will he find faith at Beacon?